Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. In the University of Houston Cougars playing Baylor in the Final Four, and it taps into a nostalgia that happened when I was a kid. Five Slammer Jamma, that's when college basketball was at its absolute peak. Kelvin Sampson has done a tremendous job. If there's a team that can beat Gonzaga, it's Baylor. I mean, there's a reason to have some doubt about what's going on, and maybe even why it's going on. I think that his career as a Houston Texan is definitely over. I love the way that Scott Drew has these guys playing. Texas was his dream job. Texas was his daydream job. <laughs> and if you can't honor and respect our most basic right, we don't need to do business with Atlanta. We need to stay away. Don't make me put you where nobody can smell you. Do you believe in America or don't you? We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, and once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, mama, there goes that man. Oh, oh, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. It's been a minute, but we're back. And I am so glad you are here. And if this is your first time, we certainly appreciate you uh, joining in. We want to remind you of a couple of things so you can be a little bit more interactive and sort of get a feel for who we are, what we are, what we do, and all that good stuff. You can start by going to wadeswordproductions.com. That's wadeswordproductions, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D productions.com. And check out the website, listen to past episodes, subscribe to the email list, and all of that good stuff. Uh, get some background information on us from time to time. Uh, we're going to be updating that uh, website really, really soon, and we're going to have more interactive things, maybe some columns, maybe some written content, and uh, yeah, we're going to mix it up a little bit, so you definitely want to do that. Also, you want to call the sports line. I want to hear your voice. I want to hear from you, and the way to do that is by calling 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. You can leave a message, and you might, you just might make it on to the next Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. On social media, for the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and the group. The group is really fun to be a part of on Facebook and, of course, on Twitter at Wade's Word. So a lot to uh, get into. It's been a while. So we're going to get into some baseball, some basketball, some football. Uh, you, you never know. And we will have a conversation with our guy, Eddie Robinson. And we'll have a couple of our features, including a Lamar Award. And we will hear from you guys in the We the People segment. I'm going to talk some music this time. I'm going to get into a little bit of music. I may or may not get on my soapbox, uh, but we'll definitely mix it up. And we hope to have a great show for you. We have um, in the mix our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. And we'll hear word from our sponsor. So all that and a whole lot more. So with that, let's get started with some headlines. In headlines, there is so much going on. We won't get to all of it, but a few things I want to highlight this episode. I want to talk a little bit about the Astros. After getting off to a 6-1 and one start, they've lost three in a row, and they are trailing now to the Detroit Lions. And they're the Detroit Lions, Detroit Tigers, the Tigers. They are trailing to the Detroit Tigers tonight. And I'll tell you what, uh, Zach Granke did not pitch well last night. They're having some pitching issues again tonight. Uh, but A.J. Hinch is in town. And, of course, he was the manager when the Astros won the World Series and when they banged on the trash cans. And 
Of course, there's been nothing but love for A.J. Hinch since he came back. Now, he was fired along with Jeff Luno, the general manager. And then he was well, he was suspended for a year and was able to return. And he really just missed the abbreviated season. He was able to return, and he was hired immediately by the Detroit Tigers. And so he came back to town, and he was treated, you know, like he got a hero's welcome. They did a video for him, and they honored him and all of that. And I felt like I was a lone voice in the woods. Why? Why? Okay, again, I appreciate the championship. But Rudy T, this guy is not. Bum Phillips, he is not. This is why I say this. Because what he did once he got fired by going on this media tour to sort of clean up his image and clean up his name, saying, well, I wasn't happy about it. I asked the guys to stop doing it. I threw the monitor. They knew I was upset. So what you did was distance yourself and throw your team under the bus. And maybe deservedly so. But you really kind of absolved yourself by saying, hey, I wasn't happy about it. Maybe I could have done more, but I didn't. But I really wasn't happy. I didn't like that they were doing it. And what really resonated with me is I saw a clip the other day on Twitter. And it was a clip of Jim Leland, the former Major League Manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates and other teams. I mean, just a great, legendary manager, Jim Leland. And in the, this clip, it was a clip of him cussing out Barry Bonds, one of the best baseball players to ever play. He was sitting there going toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose with him, cussing him out, saying, hey, you you full of You're doing wrong. If you're not going to be committed, get your ass out of here. That's kind of how the whole conversation went. And he says, I know one thing. I'm the manager of this team. So do you think for one minute, do you think Jim Leland, Tommy Lasorda, David Johnson from the Mets, do you any of these managers – I mean, anybody, you, you just name a successful manager, Tony La Russa. You think any manager that would say, hey, stop doing this, and they kept doing it, I mean, what kind of respect do you have from your team? Or was it a, a wink and a nod? And if that was the case, then that was the case. So I really didn't like it, but we were winning games. Just take the L with your team. But to this milk toasty kind of, oh, well, I, they knew I wasn't happy. Hey, man, who's the manager? Who's the manager? You or them? I'm not saying go snitch to the, the major league offices. I'm not saying that. But that's your team. If, the, if you say stop, it's stop. And I just didn't like that. So he, okay, he won the World Series. And we, I'm not going to relitigate the whole cheating scandal. But it, I just find it odd that everybody, oh, you know, oh, he's such, oh, A.J. Hinch. But the way you left is what I remember. And it's not the, 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 the bravest, you know, boldest way to leave. You kind of left your guys out there and tried to distance yourself. And that's not cool. Man, take the L with everybody else. So, yeah, you knew about it. You weren't happy about it, but you really didn't put your foot down. That's not how you came across. Can you imagine Tommy Lasorda, Bill Verdon? Remember Bill Verdon? Even Hal Lanier. I'm going way Astros back. Hal Lanier. Name a manager. I mean, you know, any of them. And you tell them, oh, well, I told them to do something and they didn't do it. And and see what would happen. So, again, good luck to him. Congratulations on getting your gig. Thank you for the World Series. I appreciate it. But, so that's going on. Also, the Deshaun Watson saga is heating up. 
and we're seeing a lot of stuff with that. Uh, our demand for names, what the judge granted that for Rusty Harden and the Deshaun Watson defense team. So we'll know, or they'll know, the names of the accusers. And more information. It's a tit for tat. It's going to be like this, I suspect, until it goes to trial. But I, increasingly, I think it's not likely that Deshaun Watson will play this season. I'll ask Eddie Robinson about that in just a little bit. Also, uh, and I'll get into this with Eddie Robinson, former NFL running back, Eddie George, Hall of Fame, uh, I mean, uh, Heisman Trophy winner, Hall of Famer, we think, right? No, wait, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Becomes the head coach at Tennessee State University. So uh, not only do you have Dion, now you have Eddie George becoming the head coach of a HBCU, and that's exciting. It's exciting. It makes headlines. It's making a lot of headlines. When is the last time we heard who was hired on ESPN? Maybe on the, the crawl at the bottom. But, yeah, that happened. So big injury in the NBA, Jamal Murray, torn ACL out for the year. And I've kind of really have been watching much more baseball than basketball because Things that are happening now don't seem like they're going to have much bearing on what happens in the playoffs. You have LeBron out, Anthony Davis out, Harden out, Durant in and out. Well, he's back. Kyrie Irving got kicked out the other night. You don't know what these teams are going to look like. And, and, I mean, we can go deeper into it and we'll get somebody on and we'll talk about that. But that's going on. Also, Sam Darnold was traded. Uh, that happened in the NFL. And everybody's posturing and talking a whole lot about all of these quarterbacks that are coming out. We'll have to see. And, and of course, last time out, we talked a lot about uh, the University of Houston. The only thing I will say about this, proud of the Cougs and what they did in uh, making it to the Final Four. In the Final Four, it didn't go their way. It wasn't quite their night as Baylor just handed it to them. And what I didn't like is that all the conversation was like, oh, Houston never belonged anyway. Oh, what about that? They didn't belong, and they didn't play anybody to get to the Final Four. And look at what happened when they faced a quality team in Baylor. Then Baylor went out and did the same thing to an undefeated team that was, uh, you know, sort of jockeying to become one uh, considered an all-time great team. Was a great team, but boy, those Baylor guards were doing work. And had those bigs not gotten into foul trouble, they would have beat them by twenty-five. So, again, congratulations to the University of Houston. Congratulations to Baylor. Hard to realize. Uh, it was hard. I, I was surprised to hear that that's only the second time in NCAA basketball history that a Texas team won a national championship. Wow. Texas West, Western was the other team. UTEP. They became UTEP. Of course, you know the story. David Latin or David Latin. And uh, you, Glory Road, I think, was the name of the, the movie. I think that was it. But, yeah, I, the great movie. I had David Latin on uh, with me on KTSU. So I've talked to him before about that big win in 1966 of an all-white Adolph Rupp Kentucky Wildcats team. So that uh, that was that. And, of course, you know, guys are starting to go pro or in transfer portal, and you can almost erase everything you knew about this season. Not much will carry over into next basketball season, which is one of the frustrating things about having to re-familiarize yourself with, 
these teams that you thought you knew or that you really liked, the players you thought you knew. And uh, so so all of that is going on. So uh, also a big, big matchup. And I guess uh, we'll talk about it now. A musical matchup on Versus that I hadn't had a chance to comment on. For more content, go to WaysWordProductions.com. Time for We the People. In the We the People segment, I go to you guys. Either it's a poll question on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook, or we check the uh, the sports line, 832-941-6614. Well, it was inevitable. And, and to some extent, this has already happened a little bit in, in little sprinkles uh, throughout the history of this uh, podcast. But you knew that the world of sports talk and old school R&B would collide on this podcast at some point. And it has this time because there was a quasi-competition. And for those of you who don't know, on KTSU, I do a, a very popular old school show. It's the anchor leg of Friday Oldies on KTSU. It's a 40-year a tradition on uh, 90.9 KTSU in Houston. So, uh, And I've had listeners literally from all over the world. It's been a, a tremendous, tremendous thing. It's one of my favorite things to do. My TFE family, hashtag the love is real, the D-Hive. Uh, I love those folks, and uh, those are my people. And uh, some, of you, some of my TFE folks listen to the sports podcast. So I gave you guys an opportunity to talk about Versus. Now, Versus was... A uh, quasi-competition, but not really. It was really a celebration of the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind & Fire, two of the all-time great groups. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of my thoughts on the evening. Now, we meant to do this last week, but for a number of reasons that we won't get into, we weren't able to come to you last week. So we're here now, and I still wanted to get those calls in. So let's check the phone lines and see who said what. Hey, Devon, in the spirit of full disclosure, this is the first time I ever watched one of those versus things from beginning to end, and I just had this wonderful, marvelous time. It took me back to my early days in America when I was in the Navy, and these two um, stalwarts in the music industry um, did um, such a great job of molding my love life. I shan't go any further into that. But anyway, um, it was a wonderful thing to listen to these guys. Now, Steve Harvey has taken some hits for um, being too loquacious, but that's what you get when you have liquor sponsor and free-flowing liquor um, in the green room prior to the show. Anyway, thanks for giving us this forum to... Um, say what we the people think. This is Errol Wilkes calling. Signing out. Thanks, Errol, for checking in. And just to, to sort of uh, elaborate a little bit on how the format went. So Steve Harvey, the comedian, the host of just about everything, and the future, uh, I guess, stepfather-in-law <laughs> to Michael B. Jordan. I, I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen. But you never know. But nonetheless, Steve Harvey hosted. And what they essentially did was they picked out 20 of their songs to play out of their catalog. So you had members. Uh, you had Ronald and Ernie from the Isley Brothers, a couple of 
the brothers had passed away and a couple others who were in the group are no longer active in the group. And then you had uh, a few of the folks from Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Verdine White, Maurice White's brother, and the bass player, I mean, awesome bass player, Philip Bailey. So they came together and, and sort of semi-performed and in some cases more than others, performed their songs and played them. And Steve Harvey was, he, he drew a lot of criticism. And people were really, really giving him the blues. And okay, I mean, he, he can handle it. And a Steve Harvey fan, I would not consider myself. I don't just hate on him. I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for his work ethic and how he grinds it out. He's not my favorite comedian. He can make me laugh. So, But nonetheless, he was catching a lot of flack. And it was because he told these anecdotes about, you know, oh, you know, I rode my bike to this girl's house with the words to the song. And, you know, it was entertaining. I, I actually didn't mind some of that. And I think that he began to be a little bit effusive and a little bit uh, lengthy. And, you know, he got too, too hyped up. But I also say this, and I will defend him in this way. If you put anybody on stage to moderate a situation like this with your two favorite artists or two of your very favorite artists, and I don't care what you've accomplished in the, in the industry, you still revert back to those years i mean and that's how it is okay so as a professional journalist i've interviewed jim brown and and deacon john i mean and, and jordan and all of these people uh, i've come into contact with and if if not one-on-one interviews which i have with jim brown deacon jones and and several hall of famers i've had an opportunity in the course of working to interview in groups uh, a number of folks a number of high profile at least current present day but still, there's something about Earl Campbell. There's something about the Love You Blue Oilers. There's something about those guys that were my heroes of my youth. So I can relate to an extent that, you know, I interview these guys now, and it's great to have conversations, and some guys are more interesting than others. But by and large, you still, I don't have a reverence for them like I have a reverence for folks that were, huge in my childhood or my teen years and that's what it was so while they gave steve a hard time i give him a little bit of a pass because he clearly legit he was not faking he is a legit fan of both of these groups and so i think he in his enthusiasm he was a little bit long-winded said the pot to the kettle so let's see who's next hey Devin, this is uh for now harvey man that that versus with earth wind and fire and the Isley Brothers was everything Sunday night. And the thing about it, what I love about it is the fact that that's the kind of music where it's just timeless. You know, you always have some kind of memory associated to it. It's just feel-good music. And you don't necessarily have that now with some of the music that's, that's out today. And just listening to uh, Ernie get on that axe and, and play, play a few bars and watching Ryan Isley and Philip Bailey for the love of you at the end. It don't matter if it's if, if know all the words, but it's all good. And it was just it was just phenomenal. I think it was a great night for black excellence. Thanks, Pernell, for checking in. We always appreciate him and uh and his contributions. And remember you guys can call to 832-941-6614. Yeah, it was a great night for black excellence. It was a great night for American excellence. And I'll tell you what, a little bit selfishly, as the the host of the Friday Express, we go through the catalog like of course they didn't play my favorite songs my some of my favorite songs uh, my favorite 
song these days. I mean, there's so many on for both groups. But we play a song that's part of the TFE catalog, if you want to say that. Uh, part of our A rotation is a song called Brown Eyed Girl. So there was it's just something about that song that's so infectious that I love. I mean, I love so many of them. Lover's Eve and uh, Sensuality and Make Me See It. I mean, so many, so many. You, I can't say enough about how much I love the Isley Brothers. It was almost like, uh, and we talked about this, and I've, I'm doing this forum. It's, it's called the TFE Post Game on Twitter in Spaces. So if you get a chance to check that out, Fridays at 9 o'clock where we convene, the Friday Express folks convene, and we have a conversation. But I talked about this in the, the TFE postgame, how I thought that those groups weren't exactly matched up. If you could have got the Commodores together, they were much more similar stylistically to Earth, Wind, and Fire than the Isleys are. I would say the Isleys are more comparable with a group maybe like Maze, although Maze doesn't quite match up. I mean, there's layers to this. It gets complex, and I could talk for hours just on this subject, but I'll digress. But uh, a couple songs, Earth, the song Earth, Wind, and Fire by Earth, Wind, and Fire is one of my favorite songs. Born of the earth are nature's children, fed by the wind, the breath of life, judged by the fiery hands of God. Tell you, boy, Earth, Wind, and Fire, check that song out if you've not heard it. But there's so many of them. But it was a great, great night. I enjoyed it. And it gives me an excuse to talk about music a little bit. And if you get an opportunity, check out the Friday Express starting at 6 p.m. Central Time on KTSU 90.9 Houston each and every Friday. With that, going to take a time out. Still have Eddie Robinson coming up from our special teams unit, former NFL linebacker. We have the Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode. Going to hear uh, from uh, me on my soapbox a little bit and a whole lot more. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. Music from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. 
Be sure to check him out on SoundCloud or on Instagram. On IG. He's doing things around the city of Houston and uh, all over the place. He's doing his thing. So DJ Anarchy. But if you have some music, if you're a DJ or fledgling artist or know someone who'd like to share their music with the thousands of folks who come into contact with the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, just email us. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. We'll play a snippet at the halfway point and an extended portion of a mix or an entire song at the end of the show. So genre doesn't matter. If you want your music heard, we have a diverse audience here anyway. And also, if you want to contribute to uh, the show, if you want to support us and make a contribution, go to LiberaPay. L-I-B-E-R-P-A-Y. LiberaPay. And search for the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast and make a safe, secure financial contribution to help us out, to help us continue to go and grow and get bigger and better. So Libera Pay. Don't forget, don't sleep on that. Check that out. We still have the Lamont Award coming up and Eddie Robinson. But first, I want to share some thoughts. I got some things on my mind, so I have to climb aboard my soapbox. When we are together, we got power. And now it's time to get on the soapbox. Climbing aboard my soapbox, I want to uh, chime in on yet another police shooting of a, uh, a black man, uh, another murder or, or death at the hands of a police officer. And it's just, uh, it's so demoralizing. It's so exhausting. And all of the things that go with it are just so frustrating and so depressing. And you have to look at how do we get this far gone? Because, again, I lived in a, a pretty rough neighborhood. And while no one wanted to necessarily deal with the police, there was no just, just fear factor. Of course, you were afraid if you were doing something wrong. But, you know, because I've been pulled over and I've gotten into arguments with police officers. Not to say that I was right. I was certainly not. But I was never the type. And I think a lot of this has to do with my father's negative experiences with police. He was not a big police person because of his experiences as a youth. And, and, and this, this generation, it, it just becomes a situation where we really have to look at who we hire. Honestly, they can talk all about training. But if you hire the wrong people in the beginning, which I think a lot of folks go into it for the wrong reason. I think if you frame it. Like, you're going to be a postal worker with a gun. And what I mean by that is most of what you do, 95% of what you do is serve the community. That means you will never have to pull your gun. Now, there are the rare occasions where you are dealing with that element. But I think over time, something has to be done to create a, a less adversarial or a less fearful approach to interacting with folks in the African-American community. I just think that a lot of these people, and this is just my opinion, you go into situations and you're afraid because you don't know this population. You don't know this neighborhood. And again, policing is hard. I wouldn't want to do it. It's not an easy job, but it can become easy and you can become safer as a police officer, thus making the population safer if your approach is to serve first. To be a community member first. And that's not that doesn't mean go to the the neighborhood basketball game or you know play, you know, pick up a pickup game with little Johnny. It means, hey, I'm gonna serve my community even in a traffic stop. 
Say, hey, you know, it's, it's how you talk to people. If you're not afraid of somebody and you are afraid or you want to, to sort of impose your will on somebody, that's a whole different thing from saying, hey, look, this is the situation. This is where we are. Now, again, that, that's, that, makes, that sounds pie in the sky. But little things keep things from escalating. And, and what that does over time is that it eliminates that fear and anxiety that the community has, and that averts a lot of different situations. So, again, there's a lot to do, but I really think that the selling point of being an officer, I, like if I had, if I had, uh, I was in charge of the police academy, I'd tell you what I would do. I don't know how long the, the training is, but for 90% of that, you wouldn't even have a gun. We wouldn't even go to the gun range. It's about verbal de-escalation, and obviously you have to protect yourself and protect others. It's not an easy job. It's a horrible job, and that's why it takes a very special person to want to do it. But all police officers can make their jobs easier when they're not as seen as adversarial in the community that they serve because they serve the community. It's not an invading army. It's supposed to be, hey, they're there. They're part of the community. And, and again, we've seen examples of community policing. I know it sounds pie in the sky, but again, you, you, you really need to screen who you hire and how you describe the job. And maybe you'll attract the kind of people that will not be afraid to serve and protect all people, not the least of which are black men in our society. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And we'll have to watch to see what sports does in this situation. For past episodes or more content, go to wagewordproductions.com. With that, I want to shift gears and have a conversation with a member of our special teams unit, our guy, Eddie Robinson, former NFL linebacker and frequent contributor to the show. He's my guy. He's our guy. You know him. You love him. And I talked to him about some HBCU stuff and his guy, Eddie George, and a whole lot more. And I'll tell you this. Uh, we have uh, we talked a lot about – you'll hear me talk about Eddie Robinson. Uh, uh, my first interview was with Eddie Robinson. And I'm talking about the legendary – Grambling head football coach. I mean, just an American treasure, the late great Eddie Robinson. So don't get confused. I know I didn't really elaborate on that or sort of make it clear when I referenced the other Eddie Robinson, but on several occasions, uh, I referenced the other Eddie Robinson. But here's our guy, the European sports nerd, Eddie Robinson. Our guy Eddie Robinson is back on the podcast. How are you this afternoon? Oh, man, everything's going good. Just some beautiful spring days in Houston, Texas. Well, you know, it's an interesting fact here. You, you've had two birthdays. I don't know if you know this or not, but today is your birthday, at least according to Twitter. I don't know. Did you see that on Twitter? Yeah, man, I did. You know, you, you got to go to the at Love Your Blue page, man, and they do a great job of shouting out the old guys. I, I love that guy on Twitter, man. He does an awesome job. He does, man. And, like, I don't know where he gets – I mean, that, that you have to be dedicated to have dedicated. everybody. He has an old-school almanac. I think I don't even think he's on the internet. I think he has, like, a paperback almanac that he's flipping through. But he got some good info on everybody. Yeah, at Love Your Blue, man. I mean, they do a great, great job. If you want to celebrate – the Oilers and get your your Oiler fix. And I know I retweet I'm a lot a of stuff. Houston Oiler, Houston Oiler. That's it yeah, right he, there. He, he, need, he need to play the song one time, man. Hey, man, <laughs> I, he, he, they had game film of you. I mean, obviously you didn't 
Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, I, I saw it today. I mean, he had he had some good clips and and some high quality. I'm like, man. I mean, he's he's on it. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a true blue fan. Makes you miss that old that old uh, Columbia. Columbia blue and oh, red man. and white man. That was that was definitely never got a championship out of that team. But it was some some great teams and some great guys to play with. I, I think, and I would imagine so. And I asked the other guys, Dishman and and Bubba and those guys, for a team that never won the Super Bowl, how much love? do former Houston Oilers get? I mean, I'm sure even you get a lot of love and you know I mean from time to time when people although you've lost so much weight, I don't how many people still recognize you? <laughs> you know, when I when I was really coaching the baseball circuit, which is probably been over the last ten years, I would see a lot of the umpires and just other coaches and stuff and and of course I would tell them my name. It's like, hold up the linebacker and I'm like, yeah man, so yeah, I, I think they, they still can see me in, in, in my new skin, but uh I think um you know, going around town, I mean, yeah, it, the Oilers in, in Houston were synonymous and they had some great fans. And, and definitely when the team was here, everybody would know you. And uh, and it was always a lot of love and, and a lot of support. And so it's, it's just a shame that you, you kind of have that disconnect of the players who don't have that city to support them because the team is not here and the history is not here and the Texans is just totally different. So I mean, that, that's the unfortunate thing when you kind of lose it. And it really helps the older guys as far as, you know, you look at a Robert Brazil who it took him way too long to get in the NF, I mean, into the NFL hall of fame. And part of it is because you just don't have a fan base that can relate to you from when you got drafted as a rookie through your whole career because that fan base is, is now cheering for the Texans, which doesn't celebrate the old Oilers. So it's, it's not a perfect world at all. Yeah, well, the last Heisman winner that played for the Oilers and then the Titans, a good friend of yours, former teammate Eddie George, he takes over as head coach of Tennessee State. What do you think, man? How exciting is that for HBCU football to have these high-profile names come into the world of coaching in HBCUs? Well, you know, I look at it, it's two sides of that coin. You know, of course, I'm a, I'm a HBCU guy. You're an HBCU guy. So it's kind of like as much as I love the NFL, I mean, other than the Saints, I go to way more black college football games and events than than I do NFL events. So, And, and I say that to say that I'm black college before I'm NFL. You know what I'm saying? Because right. I wouldn't have made it to the NFL if not for HBCUs. And I have, you know, two who went to Alabama State. I had one that Went to a nephew that went to Langston and played football there. I have another son who's at North Carolina A&T. And so, I mean, I, I love HBCU football. I love the culture and I love everything that is done, you know, for the African-American and communities throughout the history. So I think from a standpoint of giving more spotlight and profile on all of the rich tradition of schools like Jackson State and Tennessee State, who has a, a huge tradition for football. I mean, Big Blue is like, man, it is it is. I know in Houston, y'all think it's Texas Southern, but in, in that area, is it's TSU, Tennessee State, without a doubt. And so I think it, when you have a Heisman Trophy winner and then, you know, a Hall of Famer and Deion Sanders at Jackson State, you know, guys like that who can bring attention to universities, that's definitely a good thing. Now, I mean, you play with him, you know, I mean, you know him. And so yeah, how, how well do you think he'll do as a coach? Well, you know, coaching from a head coaching perspective is more management. And so... Of course, the guy knows football. He played in the NFL and, and in college. I mean, you don't win a Heisman Trophy and not know football. But, you know, can can I say 
hey, man, Eddie Eddie can throw up a, a game script for Monday. Well, no, nah, you don't really have to. You have to have a really good offensive coordinator to do that. And so the biggest thing to me as a head coach is you have to, more importantly, know what does not look right, know what we're not going to do. And then you have to manage the managers, and your coaches are the managers. And so I think from that standpoint, a, a, you know, a, a face of the university, which most football coaches are, and a person who can get people to follow, I do think he's a leader. I mean, he was definitely one of the leaders on our teams, definitely the offensive leader. So from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, I think he can get young men to believe in what he's teaching them and to go out there and play hard and to uh, and to follow the example that he said, which is to be a good member in his community who, um, you know, who loves football, has done things the right way during his career and afterwards. So do you think with Eddie George as the head coach, you'll have a running back with 30 carries a game? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that'd be interesting. I don't think he's going to go to the old school, uh, you know, downhill power football with Lorenzo Neal at fullback. So yeah. I, I think uh, I think those days, whether or not he'll be one of those, we want to run the football more, you know. But, but yeah, I, I don't think he's going back to that one guy unless he has a guy. Now, if you have a guy that can tow it 30 times a game and punish that defense. Hey, you don't you don't stop him if you got that guy. Well, you know, he looks up the street and he sees that guy and Derrick Henry. <laughs> so they're still out there. They're like a, a dinosaur, a rare find. But, you know, at least a couple guys are, are still out there like that. They can tote the rock uh, that much. Of all your former teammates, when you think about it, I mean, you played on a few different teams in the NFL. It, are there guys that stood out that you said, hey, man, that guy is going to be a coach someday? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, to me, and this, and this has always been my opinion, the best coaches are usually the linebackers, secondary players, and then quarterbacks. You know, quarterbacks for the obvious reason because you're kind of – you're in the game planning with the coach, and usually it's the backup quarterback because he understands how hard it is to do well. You know what I'm saying? He's not the starter. It's kind of like the Michael Jordan coach in Little League. Like, come on, kids, shoot the three. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I think the, the, the backup quarterbacks usually do well. And the reason I say that the secondary positions do well is because we're involved in so much. I mean, we have to know how to play the run front. We have to know how to play coverage. And we're usually on all of the special teams. So you have a person that's really involved in a lot of different aspects of football. And as a head coach, you have to kind of know how everything fits to uh, to put everything together. And so, um, you know, I would say um, probably a guy like a Bubba McDowell. You know, he was a, he was a guy that was, you know, into everything and, and, and was a – you know, not a rah rock guy, but you you know he knew football. You know, like a Blaine Bishop. You know, I could I could see a guy like that going into coaching. Uh, of course, he didn't. And then of Marcus Robinson, who did go into coaching, which didn't surprise me at all because you know he was in from the back end, secondary wise. I mean, he you know he knew everything that that everybody had to do, and he was inquisitive. You know, Marcus would be like, "Hey man, when they call that that T with the tackles and ends, doing, I'm like, man, what you worried about that for?" He said, "Man, because if they don't do it, that running back gonna come straight through that hole. And I need to know that." <laughs> so, I mean, some guys, you know, it, the, the more you know in football, I think the better it makes you as a player. Yeah, I mean, a number of your former, at least the other teammates, Steve Jackson, Marcus Robinson, uh, you talk about Mike Munchak. Yeah, Mike Munchak, who yeah. went on to be a head coach. So Yeah, there's some guys out there doing their thing. Of course, Dishman and uh, and Bubba doing his thing at Prairie View. So there's some guys out there getting the work in. Uh, you never committed to that. You went TV for a while, and I know you're devoted to uh, the kids and coaching the kids with Little League and baseball. Not not even football, but baseball right now. Why not? Why didn't you? Did you just not? 
not well, want to get into yeah, that lifestyle? you know what? So I've kind of made a decision, and I answered this question a lot. And I definitely think about it. It's something that, that uh, you know, because I, I do love mentoring kids. Like, I love teaching kids, and I love it, – it's so much more than you can teach them than just about football. I mean, football and sports kind of translates to everything in life. And, and it's always – a story and the message. I mean, I was I was just helping a buddy of mine that's coaching an inner city high school baseball team, and 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 the message was more about just baseball. And I think that's the beauty about sports is that you get kids hooked on sports, and then it's, it's kind of like the Cosby Kids and Fat Albert. You might learn something if you're not careful before we're done. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but but for my story, I think the biggest thing with me is is having three sons that I'm committed to to raising and I still have one that's in the 10th grade. So I think, yeah, after, after that, and yeah, it probably could happen if the opportunity presented itself. But, but yeah, I, I, I just chose to say, Hey, I'm going to be dedicated to my kids here in Houston and, and whoever else I can help. I've, I've helped coach like so many different kids at all different levels and uh, which I never, you know, I always get more out of it than they do because it's just a joy when you can teach a young man about sports and relate it back to life. And then you see the growth and he's learning like, oh, yeah, coach, I got it. And that's just from a coach standpoint, that's just a beautiful feeling. Yeah. Well, and I know you're active with Alabama State, but there's so many options. I mean, I'm sure Prairie View, Texas Southern um, and now probably Tennessee State, all of these schools will be interested in having your services. But, yeah, so we'll see. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, so that, that's that's the other thing about First of all, I think for me, I'm like a W.C. Garden, Eddie Robinson, um, Coach Houston Markham, Walter Heisman. I, so I grew up in the area era when the swag, you know, Marino Chasm, the Godfather. So I grew up in when the era where the swag had some coaches with some swagger. I mean, you're talking about some grown <laughs> men who who molded, you know, athletes to become young men. So for me, it's kind of like I look at. As much as I, I like the, the attention and the media attention that is going to HBCUs, I, I can't forget about those coaches who played at an HBCU, graduated from an HBCU, have been coaching at an HBCU for the last 10, 15, 20 years, and now these guys aren't getting an opportunity to be a head coach. And so that's, that's like the one thing, if I if I had to just be like the Grinch that stole Christmas to say, hey, man, it's it's great for the schools and and for the and for the NFL players who are getting opportunities to coach, but at the same time, let's not devalue the coaches who came up through the HBCU ranks and who have been patiently waiting their turn to get a chance. You look at at Maynard, who was at um at North Carolina, I mean at Alabama and M. I played against him at North Carolina A&T. He was a quarterback, doing a great job at Alabama and M. And so here's a guy. If you say, well, well, what if they would have hired? You know, whoever, whoever is the head coach at A&M and not giving him a chance to be a head coach, but he's one of ours. And when I say one of ours, meaning if, if I'm going to value the education of HBCU and the experience, then as an HBCU program, I have to hire those people and young men and coaches who actually went to my university. You know what I'm saying? So I can't I can't devalue their services or else I'm devaluing my whole educational process. Yeah, well I see you starting to see that in basketball with guys like North Carolina uh, they went with Hubert Davis. They they always stay in house in North Carolina. And you saw it with Michigan with Juwan Howard. So uh, and and Mike Woodson going back to Indiana. So you're starting to see those things happen uh, with those big programs. And of course, yeah, you and and some schools more than others. I think Grambling's done 
done a, a great job, uh, you know, when they brought back Doug, uh, you know, for a while and, you know, trying to keep their own around the program. I want to ask you about Dion, though. You talk about a guy like who swoops in and, and brings a lot of great attention and, and has done a lot already, the Pepsi deal and all of those things that he's helping with, which are just, I mean, you can't say enough about how great those contributions are. He's uh, lost uh, three games and got off to a great start, and he's lost some games now. Uh, I think it's a little tougher than he, he thought. What are your thoughts on Deion and Jackson State? Well, I think it's, I mean, it's hard to say when, when he just gets in there. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't evaluate just the spring football. So I think in the fall, you'll, you'll get a better idea. I mean, he has a, a good coaching staff, and, and he'll get some better players in there. But like my coach from Alabama A&M said this week, hey, I'm not going to have the same team next year either. Like, we're, we're going to practice over the summer. We're going to get better <laughs> too. So, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's the beauty about football. But, I, you know, for me, I mean, you're talking about the gunslinger, Cooley, and stuff like that. I went on the SWAC tour two years in a row, and, and all the coaches, they respected each other. But they went after each other and and, and and with some swagger, you know what I'm saying? And, and right. they might have talked a little trash every once in a while towards each other, and even more and more, even more than that. And I think that's what makes black college football so unique. If I'm not mistaken, I haven't counted them up, but I'm pretty sure Jackson State has more Hall of Famers than Florida State. So you're talking about Jackson State University. I mean, come on, man. They were already great before Dion got there. Now, right. he can be a cog along the chain. But Jackson State did need Dion. D- Jackson State gave Dion an opportunity to be a head coach. That's how I look at it. And that's no disrespect to Dion. I hope he does great. But it's the same thing at Tennessee State. I mean, Tennessee State, you got Ed Tutal Jones. I mean, you know, you got Richard Dent. I mean, you got Joe Gillum. I mean, they didn't need Eddie George. They gave Eddie George an opportunity. So I'm a HBCU guy first. And I love that these guys are getting their opportunities. But let's not forget the black college coaches who have grown up in the ranks and deserve to get those jobs also. I don't want us to get so enamored with the with the beauty of the NFL to say, hey, man, we got some great guys who we've raised on our own campuses and they have our university diploma in their office and they should be getting head coaching jobs as well. So let's not forget that while we're going through this whole media process of NFL guys getting coaching jobs at HBCUs. You know what? And I think about now that you mentioned the swag media tours, I may have come across you before you got to the NFL. Cause I did a couple of those and actually the first one, the first media day that I did with the, the touring swag media tour, I talked to Eddie Robinson for about 45 minutes. And I was just, it's still one of the great honors of my career because I was really young and he took time with me like he was doing a primetime, you know, ESPN interview. Oh, yeah. It was the greatest thing ever, man. That was that was a true highlight. Uh, and, and to be able to call games with at, at the latter part of his career, see what he he did to Texas Southern, and at the, at the end, uh, Texas Southern able to do some things to that Grambling program on the football field, you know. But it, you know, so maybe you were one of those uh, as uh, those swag media tours, which were great, by the way. And you talk about those coaches, oh, man, I, so I, much I had personality. A, you're talking about riding on a bus from city to city with two guys from each team. In the swag, so it was all, and and you're talking about guys who are all going to get drafted and go to the NFL. If you if you were all swag back then, or if you were Player of the Year, you was a Aeneas Williams or Michael Strahan or Ashley Ambrose. I mean, you were getting drafted, and then and then we had such legendary coaches. So, I mean, I remember once I started public speaking and everything, and uh, which was really was just Coach Markham 
taking me to different places. Like we would go to the boys club or whatever. And, and I'm thinking I'm just coming as a, as a player just to him to talk about me. He like, well, I got Eddie Robson here and, and he going to tell you about the defense. And I'm like, Whoa, I, I thought I just came here to get a free meal. I got to talk, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but that's really how I got over the fear of public speaking and learning how to talk. And then what I realized listening to coach Jeffries from South Carolina state and all these, these legendary coaches and coach Eddie Robinson, like my jokes, I would just take their jokes. So Eddie Robinson has a joke that Jesus is watching you. So it's, it's a joke that if you, if you ever heard Eddie Robinson more than once, you've heard him say this joke. Right. And so that was my main joke. Every time I would speak, probably like my first five years in the NFL, I would just like replicate the Eddie Robinson jokes that I would have him listen to him talking on the swag tour. But, but these were guys that for me as a young man, I mean, they would talk to you and, and, and just get to know you. And it was like outside of football. So a very relaxed atmosphere. And, um, I learned so much from not just my head coach, but from all of these other head coaches of, of, of how to be a young man and how to conduct myself on and off the football field. And it was, it was probably as much as I learned from being a player and, and from, from studying my experiences through life on that swag tour for, cause I went twice. So those two weeks, I mean, it was priceless. I wish I wish every kid in the conference could have experienced that. Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing. And like I said, uh, the the you know usually you would have an opportunity to interview uh, those guys, and and but the stories from like and, and I think one of the was Dorsey was at Valley. Oh, Dorsey Miller, well, yeah, he had the no, hard uh, hat. In yeah, the hard, Valley. The, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the hard hat. Yeah, him and, him and Highsmith did not like each other. Woo, man. Now, yeah, <laughs> and and so it was Highsmith. It was Eddie Robinson. It was who was before Peter Southern? Uh, I forget who who was it at because I don't think it was. P, I, I know I did media days. Yeah, with Chasm Pete. Chasm wasn't coaching at that point. It was uh, I, I can't think of his name, but I, I can picture his face. Yeah, yeah. So just all and all of the stories, and uh, I mean it was it was almost like the the, the old Dean Martin kind of roast where everybody had the dais well, then, and they'd come over. And, then and, you had Chuck Chuck Prophet. You know, I mean I'm in the SWAC Alumni Association, so we have the Chuck Prophet Wagon Master Award. You know, he was he was at Mississippi Valley, and, and he kind of kept everybody in line. I mean, making if you talk about some big personalities, all right. Now, it was, and this is not on the plane. Keep in mind, you it's know, when bus. SEC <laughs> has their media day, everybody would come to one spot, and it was like a big deal. We were born storming. We was like on the Chitlin circuit. So we would start in Baton Rouge, then you would go to, to Jackson, Mississippi, then you would come to Houston, then you would go to Birmingham. So, And it was like you would get on the bus and we would all ride to the next city and to the hotel and, and all the media would come and then you would go to the next city and you just kept doing it night after night, like five nights in a row. I mean, it was, I mean, I, I, I'm sure they would never bring it back, but bro, when I tell you, like my my memories of the swag, that's like some of my fondest memories is going on that swag tour two years in a row. Yeah, yeah, and then now as it stands, they they do it centrally in Birmingham, and, and it's right, something to right. be said for that. But it also when you start talking about, and again, the African American newspapers were a lot bigger back then; they had much more impact. So you wanted to make sure that those black newspapers, those local guys, so you would have seven, eight, nine stories in different newspapers and outlets in, in a city like Houston. So, uh, you know, you, there's yep. something to be said about that because, again, everybody's not Bring going to Bring back the swag tour. Bring back the swag tour. I'm going to call the commissioner, man. We're going to get on them. Bring that, it back. That, that's it. a great idea. Actually, <laughs> it really is. So, and, and it's something that it, they could easily do. Before we let you get out of here, I do want to ask you up about a couple of things. One thing being uh, Deshaun Watson, uh, that situation is kind of... Uh, that's still that's still going on, yeah, man. Boy, up. is it? it it's ramped <laughs> yeah, up a I'm lot. 
stopped it, but <laughs> has it? Yes, it's ramped up a lot, and uh, you know, charge and counter charge, and and posturing uh, in the public, and uh, we we finally have a face uh, to the accusation, and. Uh, and, and then a counter by Rusty Harden, and, and they are able now to get the names of those accusers. Uh, what do you think of everything that's transpired? Because now uh, Deshaun has lost a lot of money out now. He's lost sponsorships. He's lost uh, Beats by Dre, Nike, H-E-B locally here, which he, he made a lot of hokey commercials, but still, you know, the money's real. Uh, what do you think about all that's happened in the last uh, two or three weeks since we've had a chance to talk? Well, honestly, you 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 kind of keep me up to date on it. I, I really don't follow a whole lot of media stories. Uh, I probably listen to like the NPR station. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it's it's unfortunate. And hopefully the truth can come out and, and come out sometime soon. But how do you get to the truth? I just don't know. I mean, will, will we ever really know exactly what happened? And it's like we said before, it's the difference between illegal and immoral. And so. You can't look at him from a standpoint of, you know, well, he did some immoral acts. Well, yeah, you got to look at it whether it was legal or not. And and I have honestly, man, it's it's so much that uh, you know, the the potential victims and and the accused, hopefully, some kind of way the truth can come out. And and, and if he if it is a if it is something that happened, then and he should suffer those consequences. But if not. And he's being falsely accused. I think then then those people should suffer some consequences. But I don't know how you can ever get to the actual truth of what happened. I just I don't think it's even possible to to know that. I mean, everybody's going to have their own personal opinion, and it's like who can give the best, most credible statement. But I mean, hey, people people lie and give credible statements just like they're telling the truth. So I, and then sometimes people give truthful statements, but it doesn't come across that way. So I, it's, it's one of those things that, unfortunately, is, is just going to be out there for a while, and uh, you hope it can get resolved in the manner where everybody can move on with their lives. Doesn't look like, uh, and I've said this, I don't know what your take is on it, but I don't think, uh, I think it's increasingly looking like we will not see Deshaun Watson on any football field this upcoming season. And maybe it's early to say that, but I can't imagine resolving at least 15 cases. If it's not going to be the whole 22, at least 15. I can't see a resolution when Rusty Harden said, hey, we're taking all of these to court. We're not settling any of them. It's hard to imagine that that, that can possibly logistically be resolved before now and the start of football season. What's your take on that? Well, I think if you look at Deshaun Watson's posture of I'm I'm holding out, um, then for him, I think he's in the same position he was already in. Uh, keep working out and and try to work a trade. And I think at this point, with the with the court of public opinion in Houston and probably nationally, uh, going to another city is is maybe the best thing for him as for as far as a career move and a personal move. You know, um, and do, then do you think his trade value? The, you think his trade the, value is down is down now? I mean, no, I, no, not at all. You don't not think so? All. I mean, it's it's some teams that will absolutely say no, but there's a whole lot of teams who would absolutely say yes. You know, pending the investigation. Of course, if he has to, if, if he's 100% wrong and convicted and he's talking about doing jail time, well, yeah, I think at, at that point, teams will have a problem. But I don't I don't think it will get to that point. But I, who thought it would get to this point? So it's, it's, it's a whole lot up in the air, man. It's, I, I have a, I have a, uh, a lot going on in life. 
I just don't have enough time to focus that much attention. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, not yet. I'm sure that, that the day will come where, hey, you know, that'll happen. And finally, uh, in, in a sort of just another sad, somber occasion with the shooting again in the Minnesota in Minnesota at the Brooklyn uh, Center, uh, Minnesota, what, uh, the shooting of Dante Wright. And as it pertains to the world of sports, uh, some postponements last night with baseball, hockey, and the NBA. What do you think uh, – how much should these leagues uh, stay involved with this entire situation? Well, I think you have to because it's, it's a problem that doesn't seem to have a solution right now because the same thing keeps happening. And, and I really have to applaud – Major League Baseball for moving the All-Star game. I mean, you know, I go to the All-Star game, baseball All-Star game every year. I've probably been to, in the last 15 years, maybe all but one or two. And so that's kind of like my event. But, yeah, I think if the state of Georgia is going to limit the right to have people have, a, you know, a, a free and opportunity to vote, then, yeah, you shouldn't have major sporting events. So I, I applaud them, but I do applaud the athletes also to say, Hey, even though that I'm doing well, I'm making millions of dollars and my family is doing great, I'm still an African-American in the United States. And unfortunately, we're not being treated the same by law enforcement. So that's something that you have to deal with. And, uh, and, I, and I applaud them for putting you know, their livelihood and, and lives on the line to say that this is not, this is not something that's right and, and it needs to be changed. And, and I don't know what the immediate solution is, but obviously something has to change because you know, the, the same thing can't keep happening over and over. And it's very unfortunate that is that is a loss of life. And uh, it's, we, we have to do a little better than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, how can folks uh, reach out to you on social media? Well, it's at erob50 on Instagram and Twitter. I was one of the original ones, so I keep it real simple. Hey, man, well, we appreciate it. I mean, so much to talk about. We'll get into it uh, in the near future. And since you attend so many swag games, I'm sure you'll be at Mississippi Valley, Texas Southern on Saturday, right? 2 p.m. kickoff? Absolutely. That's a good one. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. I'll be there. If you bring your vaccination card, I might let you in the press box to call some of the game with me. <laughs> well, I, I'm just going to double mask, baby. I'm going to double mask on you. That's all. <laughs> hey, man, well, good talking to you as always. We certainly appreciate it. All right. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. I want to thank Ed as always. Always enjoy him. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at erob50, and uh, you can find him all over the place. Just check him out. With that, it's time for the Lamont Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks with no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you. You big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the Big dummy of the episode. Well, we waited for a while, but he's still just as worthy as he was the day he got fired. I'm talking about Paul Pierce, former NBA player, outstanding player for the Boston Celtics, a great player at Kansas. He's earned hundreds of millions of dollars playing basketball and through sponsorships because of his prowess as a basketball player. He's been a big-time guy. He's been in the money for a long, long time. And he was working, was is the operative word, he was working for ESPN, making about $1.5 million. Was he doing in-depth reporting? No. He was just doing some uh, commentary and, and some pregame halftime show stuff with the four-letter network. And for that, 
which he probably was going to be watching basketball anyway because that's what basketball players do usually. You know, you watch games and you know the sport, you like the sport, you appreciate the sport and, and all of that. So you were probably watching basketball anyway. You get to talk about it a little bit and uh, illuminate your name in the process all while making $1.5 million. So you don't even have to dip into the $191 million you earned on the court. But you can tell when somebody hadn't had a job for a long, long time. Because this guy goes out on Instagram and overshares. Now, if you're under 25, oversharing is a part of your DNA. This is just the generation in which you come from. Paul Pierce is 43 years old. He's a grown-ass man by any definition. He's not young by any stretch of the imagination. And he should know better. Now, again, we can only imagine, and some of us know a little bit better than others, what the lifestyle is like when you're out in those streets, doing what you do, the, whatever you, your vice is, you can have at it, and, and by and large, within limitations, you can do what you want to do, and nobody's really, really bothered. But when you put it on Instagram, and you work for a company, an ESPN, that's owned by Disney, with everything with the Me Too movement and the empowerment of women and they're trying to eliminate misogyny and all of that stuff, it is not a good look to be getting a massage and drinking and cussing and women popping and all of that. Man, look, all of that is a wonderful lifestyle for you if that's what you're into. But you can't do it and work at ESPN. And for you not to know that, and for your old ass, you not a kid, to be on Instagram, costing yourself money, free money. Not exactly free, but you're not roofing houses or cutting yards. You're doing what you love to do, and that's watch and talk noise about basketball. You blew that. Also, you can get some shine. Who, who are you trying to impress? Why do we need to see that? In any case, Paul Pierce, man, you are a big dummy. You big dummy! <laughs> man, Paul Pierce, man, that just you just gave it away. But I mean, you, I'm, I'm sure you're not hurting. Uh, you're not going to file for unemployment. I get it, but still, just don't give away money. Millionaires don't give away money. It's not a good move, especially when it was no stress for you to just not be on IG. And I said this a thousand times, man. We are so lucky we came up in an era where. You didn't have cell phone cameras, and everything we did wasn't documented because I would uh, maybe I would be canceled, and most of the people I know would have been canceled for the irresponsible behavior of a 20 something. But he's not a 20 something, he's 43 years old. Just how you can tell somebody never had a real job. You can't even follow basic parameters. First of all, who were you trying to impress, and did you not think that we were going to see it? Hey, good luck to him. I'm sure he'll land on his feet. Nonetheless, before I let go. Before I let go, I want to thank Eddie Robinson. want to thank the guys that called in, uh, Errol and Purnell. want to thank DJ Anarchy, Cobank Holmes. I want to thank you and remind you to call the sports line, 832-941-6614. And, of course, go to Liberia Pay and look for Sports Talk with Devin Wade. If you want to contribute and help the show grow and grow and get bigger and better, in addition to that, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Wade's Word and, of course, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade 
page and group on Facebook. And, of course, WaysWordProductions.com. You can go there 24 hours a day, catch up on past episodes and more. Getting out of here. And until next time, remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.